Welcome to Two Lit Mamas, a kid-lit podcast for parents, teachers, and writers. I'm Heather Kaufman-Peters. I'm the mother of one teenage boy, a preschool teacher, and a writer. And I'm Margie Ozemet. I'm the mother of two boys, six and 12, a middle school teacher, and a writer. On today's episode, we're going to do a fun experiment. This was Margie's idea. I loved it so much. Do you want to tell everyone what we're doing? We're doing a surprise me. We both picked two books and read them and did our research, but we did not tell the other person what the book was. So it's all new and exciting. Yes. It's like fifth grade book report and you really hope this is Peter's. You didn't read the same book because then you're like, call me out and be like, you're a liar. As soon as you said book report, I just got nervous. Like my heart started fluttering like back in school when you had to stand up. Oh, I remember like my favorite one was I like some sort of ballsy child did. Are you there? God, it's me, Margaret in fifth grade, because every fifth grade girl should talk about periods for a book report. What was I thinking? A P.S. I only picked Are You There, God, It's Me, Margaret, because my name was in the title. Of course. There you go. All right. So for the second episode of Tulip Mamas, we're going to talk about our surprise me books. So let's get started. surprise me book. I just kind of randomly found it going through the online library because our libraries in Massachusetts, like everything else in Massachusetts, is still closed due to the quarantine. So the only way you can really get books right now, besides, you know, ordering them online, is to use the overdrive on our library website, which is what I did. And I'm like, okay, well, show me something I might like. And it popped up this book called Eventown by Corey Ann Haydu. And it was released February of 2019. It's a middle grade. It's about 335 pages long, depending on what format you were reading it in. So it's not small. It's a pretty good sized book. It was listed as fantasy or dystopian. And I think it was totally 100% neither of those. It's definitely magical realism. And that's where it should have been. I like magical realism. I do too. There's two twins, Elodie and Naomi, and something really bad has happened in their life, and we don't know what, and we don't know anything more than that, but we just know that they're moving. Their parents have decided to move to a place called Eventown, and in Eventown, everything is even. Everything is as it should be, for lack of a better word. The blueberries are always fresh. There's never rotten blueberries. They're always available. There's three types of ice cream in music class. Everybody does the same song. Everybody does the same routine in gymnastics meet. Everything is even. There's no good. There's no bad. It's just all even. That's the name, Even Town. And apparently everyone in the town they're leaving seems to think that this will be really good for them. But we don't know why. And it's a good 200 pages before we even have an inkling, which a lot of the people that reviewed it was like, it took a long time to get started. I don't mind that. I like the, the story was strong. I felt like the storytelling was good. The character development was really strong and interesting. So I was like, all right, I don't really care. But what happens is Even Town was really great for Naomi, one of the twins. It was really great for her mom. It was not so great for the dad. He was not comfortable, but he was trying to make a really good go of it. But Elodie was not at all a good fit. The whole book talks a lot about what's good to help one person isn't gonna help another person. Like what's a way for one person to deal with their grief? isn't going to be the way that another person can deal with their grief. And that's sort of the whole overall takeaway. It deals a lot with anger, which I thought was awesome. Both of my kids have gone through phases where they really struggled with anger. And I think this is the first time I've really seen a book that was sort of like, hey, it's okay. Anger is an emotion. You're going to feel that sometimes. So I, I give that like a huge thumbs up. 
Uh, it talked a lot about moving and the difficulties of moving and having moved my older son to two different countries and five different states and seven different schools. And I definitely, she hit it on the head. I think the writer did a really good job being able to express what's hard about moving for kids and what's good about moving for kids. But then comes the kicker. In about three quarters of the way, we find out what happened. Okay, do we need to say trigger warning? We do. I hate trigger warnings. I feel like that is like the demise of our society when that whole thing became a thing. Like, oh, trigger warning, you might feel bad if you do this. Them. I think that that's just takes away from art. It takes away from literature. I think everything about it is bad. This, however, is a book for children. And this is a book for very young, very vulnerable children in the 8 to 12 category. Therefore, it does deserve a trigger warning. I'm going to tell you what happened because I wish someone would have told me before I read the book. So the, the reason that they move is because their brother has committed suicide. And it explains that he took a lot of pills and he suffered from depression, took too many pills, and he died upstairs while they were downstairs playing in the yard, basically. Wow. Yeah, really heavy. And it says that in one paragraph and then it goes on. And that I felt was not handled the right way. Okay. So this is an interesting thing about middle grade and even just writing for children in general. Sometimes when you're dealing with a heavy topic, how they handle that is to just not dwell on it. I remember reading in one of the Little House on the Prairie books when the dog died, they just said it, the dog died. Yeah. And then that was it. It was one sentence. And I felt as an adult reading that, like, wow, why wouldn't they dwell on that a little bit or be sad or react to that? But I think that is a common way in writing for children to not dwell on things, to just be like, it is what it is. But this is a little bit different. It was kind of some flowery language around it. Like he took too many of his special pills. He didn't love the world anymore. Oh, wow. So it wasn't like the mom picked them up from school and mom said, your brother killed himself. Okay, then that would have been a better. Then let's move on. Then I got it personally. I just didn't feel like it was handled the right way. And I definitely understand. I've had a lot of students over the years that have had to deal with grief. My dad died when I was a kid in that age. I definitely get it. And I'm by no means in my teaching or in my writing or anything, have I ever felt it's important to shy away from hard topics for kids. I think it's really important that kids understand hard topics. I just think that as a parent, before I gave my kid or my students this book, I'd need to know that that's part of it because it's a really tricky age. And 12-year-olds are really susceptible to influence and it's a growing suicide risk at that age. But I feel like she didn't have a good enough understanding of the 12-year-old mindset from a teacher perspective or from a parent perspective. Great book. Amazing book. It sounds like with the flowery language too, it almost makes it sound interesting. That's a great way to say it. That's exactly what I was looking for. That's it. Makes it appealing. I mean, let's face it. In middle school, you're exploring a lot of different ways to be in the world. You're exploring the power of words. You're exploring the power of your actions. I always say like my little preschoolers are scientists. Their minds are always churning and they're experimenting with the world. And those early teen years are exactly the same way. Yeah. They have a new power they're starting to be aware of because they're becoming adults and they're getting more independence and they're just experimenting with things. And if you make something seem interesting, I mean, and, and that's not to say that you can protect them from that. And like you said, we should be very honest about those kind of things and very upfront. Obviously, the way their behavior was all through the beginning was affected by this. And I almost feel like you needed that up front. I agree. Either it needs to happen immediately at the beginning, so I know, or I need to know with a trigger warning. And like I said, that's what all the criticisms I read anywhere of this book said. Now that I'm thinking about the structure of it, too, that's almost something that you're warned against as a writer, because you don't ever want to keep something important from your readers 
just to slam them with it in the face. Right. That's not how things are supposed to be done. Beginning writers always want to have this like surprise for the reader to stumble across. But I just heard the other day someone was talking about this and they said that the mystery shouldn't be for the reader. It should be for the character to discover. You shouldn't leave the reader in the dark for what the twist is going to be. The twist is for the character in the book. The reader is in on it and then the character figures it out and there you're like, yes, finally the character figured it out. That would have solved every problem that I found in this book. It's a lot about what the death of someone has done to the family, but we don't know who it is. We don't know if grandma died. We don't know if Uncle Herbert died. We don't know if it was a sibling. We kind of feel like maybe it was a sibling, but we have no clue. And again, it would be more useful if you knew from the beginning, this family is reacting to the death of a sibling, a death of a child. That would have been helpful. Right. So you don't even know what they're recovering from and what their process is because you don't know what sparked it. So you're not putting the proper weight on it, even in the beginning. Right. Anyway, again, the book is called Even Town and it's by Corianne Heiju. There I am with my giant buzzkill. Yay. Well, at least we got it done up front. <laughs> All right, so what's your surprise book? Well, I was kind of excited because when you recommended this idea, I had just got done listening on Audible to The Girl Who Drank the Moon by Kelly Barnhill. And I love that book so much. So I was kind of excited to tell you about it. It's a 2017 Newbery medal winner. Look at you with your award winners. You usually hate I those. Know. Drinking the Kool-Aid. I didn't realize she had won it until after. Not that I hate award winners. Of course, I read them always, but I like to give other people a shot. That's all. These kind of books get re reviewed and recommended over and over again. I know. This is basically a fairy tale story with magic, and it's about a girl named Luna who is in magic by a witch who feeds her moonlight, and so she becomes magical. And she's raised by the witch who she calls grandmother and a swamp monster and a tiny dragon. It's adorable. But the girl um, came from the protectorate, which is an area where every year they sacrifice a baby to the witch in exchange for her leaving them alone. So basically, it's sort of like a lottery-esque type of story where the town believes that if they leave the baby in the forest for the witch that they will be safe for another year. There's definitely a twist in this story, but it is for the characters. The reader is in on it about halfway through. So I thought that was a beautiful way of handling it, especially for middle grade again, because they were kind of in on it. The themes in this book are kind of heavy. I mean, they are about like corruption, selfishness, oppression, those kind of things. But what shown through the most was the hope and the power of a small band of people to change the world. That was another one of the critiques of this story was that it's not clear who the main character is, but personally, that's what I loved about it because it's about Luna, but it's also about her group. And then the people in the protectorate, there's a main character there who's a boy who he's young when he leaves the baby in the forest for the first time. He's part of the group that's chosen to do this and it, it never leaves him. And so we see that how that trauma stays with him through his life. And then he comes back together with her later in the story and becomes part of this sort of band of people who change their whole world. I guess it's heavy and complicated and there's a lot of characters, but all the characters, the way this is written, all the characters are so unique, which you know, if you're going to have a bunch of characters as a writer, you just have to give them a unique voice. Just everything has to be unique about them. And Kelly did an amazing job of that. To me, it felt like almost like a Star Wars type of thing. Oh, cool. It was complicated and there were a lot of characters to follow and there were dark issues, but really the overwhelming thing is the hope in that a small group of people changed the world. 
My God, we need that so bad right now. <laughs> exactly. And the multi-generational aspect of it with the grandmother and yeah. the young girl. Then there's also this old bog monster that is one of the characters. And he's one of the original life forms of this earth. Now I'm going to have bad dreams about the bog monster because I have a freaking Ford cranberry bogs behind my backyard. <laughs> I'll be like, not sleeping tonight. I'm calling you. And I'll be like, you know what? The bog monster is coming. Thanks, Heather. Yeah, but the bog monster is sweet and gentle. And he's a, po he's a okay, poet. Okay, thank you. He references the poets all the time. And he's always speaking poetry, which I think is interesting that he references the poets because you also are led to believe he's one of the first life forms. So you basically know he is the poet. Oh, I like that. It sounds very fable-ish. In the world, the bog is where everything came from, which for a creation story, it's so beautiful and poetic. But from a total nerdy scientist point of view too, a bog contains its own ecosystem. Even our bogs here in Massachusetts have a massive ecosystem within them. So scientifically, it's a really awesome concept as well, because it's true, you know. That makes me love it even more. One of the themes I liked the most that it explored was about trust issues and about how... Like there is one person in power who has disguised herself as good and she has um, disparaged someone else who's supposed to be evil. And then you find out that that's not the case. And I think that that's an interesting concept for burgeoning adults. Yeah. To understand that not everyone who's in a position of authority knows what they're doing or is right. And that they could also be mis easily misleading us because they're in a position of authority. Huh. You think? <laughs> I know, right? So this author, she's a former teacher. She's got kids. She's also a former activist. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. It's not like really on the nose, but I, I just, that comes through. Oh, I want to read this. I totally want to read this. I just want to see the bog monster because now I'm fascinated. Another thing I really liked about the story were the natural elements too with the bog and the volcano. Because you know me, I like... Yeah, you love a good volcano story though. You love a good volcano. <laughs> I know. I write stories about blizzards and volcanoes. But I like bringing in nature and the fact that nature can be chaos and destructive, but also can be renewing. Yeah. I think that also comes through in the story. It sounds so good. I have to Google the picture because I want to know what it looks like. Because, you know, I like to judge a book by its cover. <laughs> oh, the cover is the most beautiful cover. I like because the girl on the cover has darker skin. And there isn't race in this world necessarily because there are different types of magical creatures. But she does describe a lot of the main characters as having darker skin and darker hair. Oh, nice. Yeah. Even though it's a fairy tale, it doesn't feel European at all. And, you know, I love a good Scandinavian fairy tale, but it, it definitely had a, a wider feel. Wider, not whiter. Wider. Because as you said that, I'm just sitting here thinking that book that I read, Eventown, felt very, very white. Even though there, there was a family that had two moms and there was a family that had been originally from India, it still felt very white. Sort of felt like a lily white suburb. Um, okay, now I'm going to give you my second one, which is okay. totally Lily White, because of course, um, it takes place in Iowa. And I grew up in Iowa. It takes place in a place called Vacaville, Iowa, which is not real. If it's real, I never knew of it. Not like there's that many towns outside of Des Moines that you wouldn't know this. But this is called Slider, and it's by Pete Houtman. And I am now in love with Pete Houtman because not only does he have like an awesome website, it gives you on most of his books an essay about why he wrote them. Ooh, I like that. And then it also, my favorite part of all, for every book he has, there's teacher notes. I think that's the greatest thing. 
because even if I don't want to teach the book, if I gave it to my little friend, Derek or Devin or David, and I said, read this book and I didn't have time to read it. That's a great way for me to know whether or not little Derek or David read the book either. I can help them with their report on it. I can help them through it as a reading teacher, a reading coach, whatever. It's awesome to have those teacher notes. So all you kid lit people listening out there, give us notes, give us teacher notes, help us. We have so much to do. And now we have to master technology on top of it. So this is a great book. I put it into like my Jan Brady category of books. It's just a good, solid book. Nothing awesome and amazing about it. There's nothing bad about it. It's just a good, solid middle child book. You digest it, you read it. You're like, oh, that was a good book. It's about a young kid named David. And that's the funny part about the book. His name is David. And he's like, yeah, that's it. I'm going to change my name because everybody in the world has a name like David Miller. The book knows where it is. It knows where it stands. He had a great understanding of the Midwest, which I thought was awesome. He's from Minnesota as well. As a Midwest transplant who's been on the East Coast for probably longer than she lived in the Midwest, it's always nice to see a book where somebody really nails the Midwest, especially Iowa, because it's, it's a lot boring. It's not even like, it's not like we have Chicago. It's not like we have anything. We have Des Moines, for God's sakes. I know, but you don't realize it's boring until you leave and go somewhere else. Right. And it's cool because even the things the kid says is like, oh, I got to go all the way to Des Moines. You know, it's probably like 40 minutes or whatever, but it's like, there's nothing between there and Des Moines, you know? They go to the Iowa State Fair, which if you grew up in Iowa, you go to the Iowa State Fair every single year. And the first thing you do is you eat the ridiculous food and you go see the giant butter cow, which is a giant cow sculpted out of butter. And all I did, like, I would run. I'm like a little fat kid running into the fairgrounds and in one hand is like a corn dog and I'm running to the butter cow because that's all you want to see. And you get in line and you wait to see the same freaking cow carved out of butter every year. And this is exactly what they do in the book. And I'm like, this is awesome. I felt like such validation. Can I just tell you, we're rewatching the West Wing right now, just, you know, because we need, I don't right. know, stability yeah. in our life. And they were campaigning in Iowa in the last episode I saw. And that's what they were the talking about. Cow. They all wanted to see the butter cow. That's it. And you know, there was a while where she got frisky, like the woman who did, um, her name is Duff and she would get crazy. I think like there was one year she did a Betsy Ross, like sewing the flag out of butter. She would do like other things, but nobody really cared about those as much as the freaking cow. Everyone wants to see the cow. I remember having in 4-H hike, having butter sculpting competitions. So corny, but it's so true. I was reading along on the book and he had to get a ride to the state fair because his parents were mad at him and blah, blah, blah. He and his friends hitched a ride on the 4-H bus and the 4-H bus took them to the state fair. And I'm like, oh my God, I rode the 4-H bus. It was so corny. I'm having flashbacks too. Hey, I grew up in Illinois and I used to show cattle for the 4-H fair. Me too. And we'd camp out at the state fair with them. I probably weighed like 90 pounds and I was pulling this calf around. My dad lived for the day when my brother and I could do it. And my brother was big. He was a big kid. I was a nine-year-old girl on the end of a 1,400-pound steer. And I'm like, in what world do you think this is a good choice? Like, you're just like, go ahead, Margaret. You'll be good. I'm like, no, I won't. I'm literally four feet tall. I remember my grandpa saying if it gets away from you just throw your shoulder into its chest which is basically like a bobby pin hitting it it's nothing i did it once too because it got away from me it saw the open door to the building we were showing in and it just took off and i tried my best to throw my shoulder into it but it just knocked me out of the way i'm glad i didn't get trampled and it always said whatever you do don't let go and i would be like bitch the first thing i'm gonna do is let go like are you kidding me i saw my uncle who was like six foot four 300 pounds and it took him forever and that was like 
the worst thing my dad ever let happen because he was like, don't let go. And I'm like, you know, I saw what it did to Uncle Brad, right? I'm letting go. Are you crazy? That man had 250 pounds on me and he couldn't stop him. What makes you think I'm going to stop it? But it was so fun because the book, even though he's a town kid, it nailed Iowa so well. And he wants to be a competitive eater. He did something in the beginning and really stupid to his mom's credit card. And he has to somehow get the money back before his mom figures out. And it's funny because you're reading it as an adult. You're sitting here and he's trying to hide the bill. And you're like, oh my God, she's going to have the late fees. Her credit rate's going to go down. You're like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You got to kind of suspend the adulthood from this while you read the book. And on top of it, there's also an autistic brother. And this David, the kid, the main character, is he's the one stuck in the middle. He's right between sort of this very overachieving sister who can't do anything wrong and is on an academic scholarship to college, this Simpson College, this college we all used to go to to visit and have, you know, party times. And his brother, his younger brother, Mal, who is autistic, but his mom doesn't let them say he's autistic because she doesn't like the word. And the only person who can really get through to the autistic brother in the end is, of course, David, the middle child that everybody forgets about, but they depend on him for everything. So it's just kind of a fluff book. It's a Jan Brady. It's right in the middle. It makes you happy. It doesn't make you angry. It doesn't make you sad. It just is like, it's a good book. It was just a good, fun book. I couldn't get my son into it because he's never really spent any time in Iowa. So he's like, mom, what is a butter cow? So I'm like, Chad, you do not know where your mother came from. Like you're just some little Turkish boy. So you've always lived in cities with him, right? He's a city boy. Yeah. It's a whole new world for him. And ironically, we were supposed to go to Iowa this summer and my brother was going to take him to the state fairgrounds. But thank you, COVID. Anyway, again, it was called Slider by Pete Houtman. I like books for kids in the Midwest. I don't think there is enough of those. There's not enough. There really isn't. There's not enough to validate that plain old farm kid existence. It really is a good way to grow up. I'm biased though. We're both we're both totally biased about growing up farm kids. I know. All right, what was your second book? All right. My second book had to pick a Hoosier, of course. Sticking with our Midwest theme we got going. Our brains really do think too much alike because we didn't even talk about these at all. I know, right? Our books are completely not related in any way, but yet they're all written by Midwest authors. Okay. So the next book I read was called Granted and it's by John David Anderson. He also wrote Miss Bixby's Last Day, which I think is one of the things he's most famous for. This book, I would say is a little bit more lower middle grade. It's recommended for grades three to seven. And I agree with that. So this is a story about fairies who grant wishes. The main character's name is Ophelia Delphinium Fidgets, which how awesome is that? And she is a grantor fairy, which is sort of a highly sought after position in the, this fairy world because it helps protect the magic and it, and the fairy's home, which is in the, the haven is what they call it, which is this big tree in the middle of a forest, which sounds like it's somewhere like in Tennessee-ish, maybe okay. somewhere around there. The grantor fairies are assigned wishes by the great tree. And so when they get an assignment, they have to fulfill the wish basically. And so this is Ophelia's first assignment and we get to go along on the adventure with her and everyone warns her like their first assignments are kind of crazy because you don't know yet what you're getting yourself into. I kind of like that. And also this book was great at setting up a mystery right away because magic is slowly disappearing from the fairies and they're not exactly sure why. So they used to grant hundreds of thousands of wishes, but now they only grant like in at the beginning of the story, they're given 12 wishes to grant. So only 12 fairies are sent out to grant wishes. They tell stories kind of like back in 
the old days, fairies could grant wishes willy-nilly and they could interfere with humans' lives as much as they wanted. So there's kind of this mystery set up at the beginning, which I thought was fun. I love books that no matter what, if they're historical fiction, if they're whatever, they have that little mystery in the background going on. Anyway, so Ophelia along the way on her adventure, of course, it doesn't go smoothly because it's her first time out. And she befriends a dog who helps her along the way, which I think is super cute. They meet because he's not sure what she is because he's never seen a fairy before. So he asks if he can sniff her butt. It's so cute. And he's like, no, it's okay because you can sniff mine too. And she's like, no, thank you. I don't want to sniff your butt. Oh, nice. I thought that was adorable. That's total middle school humor. I loved it. It was great. So anyway, their adventure is crazy. And one of the things I liked about this too is that person whose wish has been granted is not even a character in the story. It doesn't even matter. So the fairy has to go find the coin that she wished on. And then once she has the coin in her possession, she can sprinkle magic on it and grant the wish. And supposedly when you grant wishes, you get like this sort of euphoric magical feeling in it. And it also helps to spread more magic into the world. And so that's the point of even granting wishes. What was the name of the book again? It's called Granted. I like it too, because the fairy isn't like a kid. She's a grown-up fairy. She's been trained and she's ready to go out in the world. And so I kind of like that because she kind of deals with her job, trying to figure out how to do her job the best she can, and then struggling with a lot of issues along the way. A lot of the fairies are talking about how now, because they can only grant a limited number of wishes, it's kind of irritating that the wishes might be frivolous. Like the wish she's going to fulfill or grant is for a new bike. The other fairies are like, ugh, why can't it be something really important? So they're kind of struggling with this because as the wishes are dwindling. And I think that's also part of the problem. So it's like a vicious cycle because they can't grant as many wishes. So then less people believe their wishes will come true. I like that because the first book that I did in Eventown, there was one of the friend's moms was struggling with the whole situation too. And having, even though it was sort of a second or tertiary character, like struggling in the same way that the kid is struggling, I feel like it's really nice to see that in kid lit because for a long time like any grown-ups that were in any middle grade were just either causing the problem or they were hindering that kid from getting what they needed or whatever but we didn't ever really see adults in a way that kind of was mm-hmm. vulnerable mm-hmm. you know what I mean we didn't see like any adults with any vulnerability so much and it seems like we're seeing more of them now and I really like that because I think kids need to see that kids get treated more like adults now because of the crap show that is our world so I feel like they also need to see that adults are also struggling. You know, I think that's interesting that you say that because I think that was one of the things I liked about The Girl Who Drank the Moon too, because both of these books, there are adult characters in them, which normally you don't see a lot in middle grade because it's sort of like, oh, the parents are dead or oh, they're not an existent and the kids are just on their own adventure usually, which I'm a strong proponent of that too, because I think that's a kid's fantasy to kind of go about the world without having parents always telling them what to do. But I also like this new concept of just creating adults that aren't there telling them what to do. They're just in their lives. Adults that are supportive. And they're, like you said, they're struggling with their own issues and kids can see them struggling and understand that that's just life. It's not that once you become adult, you know all the answers or you get everything right. I think that's what parents are like now though. Parents are more open and honest, not like the parents of days gone by where they have to keep everything quiet. Aunt Rita's off to a better place. No, Aunt Rita's struggling with cancer. So let's talk about it. You know, like let's talk about it before that. And instead of keeping things from kids, they treat them 
them as actual human beings, the human beings with brains that they are, you know, that the capacity that they actually have, I hope. Right. I think there's a lot less of the, well, I'm the adult and I know, and you're the kid, so you don't know. I think so too. It's very funny because I had a throwdown. I think I told you with one of my son's teachers, I said, well, we're going to talk to him because that decision he should be part of. And she said, well, I don't believe that children should be part of large decisions. I think adults should make those decisions and the children should live with them. And I was like, that's why you're not his parent. And, you know, I mean, she's substantially older than us, probably in her 60s. And we're old parents to have a first grader. And still, I was like, yeah, that's not how parenting works now. I'm sorry. (laughs) It's his life, you know, like he's going to have to deal with the ramifications. He gets to deal with that. You can definitely see there's a change about how people treat children and not as, listen to me, I know everything. And I think it's important to see that coming out in literature. And I think it's important to see that the people like that teacher that I was talking about that sort of set the rules and the kids have to abide by it. Those are the bad guys in books now. And I like that because they're also the bad guys in my world. Because they're not encouraging the children to explore and think for themselves. You're right. I mean, that was in The Girl Who Drank the Moon. That was what the bad people were. They're like, no, we know what's best. But of course, they were using that to disguise the fact that they were doing what was best for them. Same in the Eventown book. Exactly the same. They thought it was best for the people to keep things away from them. And in the end, it wasn't. But those were the people that always, you know, we know best. Just shut up and listen to us. (laughs) All right. Well, we better wrap it up. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be back with a segment that I like to call What's New With You, Fool? So we're back. All right, Heather, what's new with you, fool? I call my kids at school that all the time. And they're like, somebody will hear us that doesn't interact with us. And they're like, did she just call you fool? And they're like, yeah. Like a term endearment. That means she loves us. Shut up. <laughs> Let's go, fools. We got to go. So I have to tell you my foolish okay. move today. So this morning, my darling son and I, my oldest son and I, it's been hard like with this whole quarantine thing to try to like get alone time with either one, just one-on-one with them. Forget my husband. He's like out of the picture. I can't even like, you want alone time? Girl, you're going to need to wait like six more months, maybe. I'm trying to like keep our kids sane. So my little guy and I have been having a few dates. We go on some drives. We go get a coffee or whatever, you know, and we just, cause he needs some time. Like he's losing his mind. He's like, I'm over this. I'm done with school. I want a break. So this morning, my older son really likes to hike with me. The little one, he peters out after about a mile. So this morning I said, let's get ready. We're going to go on a long hike. Cause we have like the most beautiful woods around here that you've ever seen. Like everywhere you turn, you know, you got a bog or you got an ocean or you got this. So we decided we went to this place not far from here and we just got into our walk. We were going to try to do a couple miles and my oldest son never shuts up. I love him. He's like his mother talking, 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 talking. And being a good nature girl, I always keep my eyes on the ground and I see this massive five foot long black rat snake coming out of the bog. And this thing literally was full. You could see it had just eaten a mouse or something. You could literally see the mouse still inside of the snake. And he's paying no attention. And he's like maybe six inches from it. And I have had no voice for like a month now, thanks to the allergies of Massachusetts. And I'm trying to scream at him. And he finally looks at me and he just screams so loud. And I swear to God, if he was any smaller, he would have been like in my arms. And he's like hanging on to me. And then I turn and I'm like, it's okay. But before I could even get the words out of my mouth, he was gone. He just left me. He was just like, no, 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 I'm out of here. It was like a scene from a cartoon and he just left me standing there. <laughs> so then he was like, he ran to the parking lot and I'm like, we are not going. We are going to hike. This is ridiculous. You would not die. It was just a giant snake. And he- 
he's like, okay, fine. Well, we'll go the other way. So we're hiking and we're hiking and we're hiking. And this woman's like, oh, if you turn here, it'll just bring you in a nice big loop. And we're like, oh, that's really nice. Because, you know, you don't see people on the trails in out here because they're just, they're huge. So we kept going, we kept going. And all of a sudden we hit this patch and he goes, oh my God, this is where the snake is. It literally took us in a giant loop that we tried so desperately to avoid. <laughs> and dropped us right back where the snake was. And what did my darling son do again? Ran. He just left his chubby little mother there to die. He just sprinted all the way to the parking lot and he was gone. So then we get home only to find out that the younger one who had been home with his dad also found a snake behind our garage. My husband said, he just turned so white and he was shaking and he was crying and I couldn't do anything. I'm like, well, what was it? He goes, it was... It was about six inches long. It was a baby garter snake. But true to form, uh, to our uh, family motto, he too just ran and abandoned his father with the snake as well. And he wouldn't go out of the house again the rest of the day. See, now I would think the youngest one would pick it up and like chase people with it. <laughs> yeah, no, we're not like snakes are not our jam here. No, I hate snakes and I probably have the highest tolerance for them than, than any of them here. But yeah, that's how they our children love their parents. Good luck, old people. We're gone. So that's it going to put me in shady pines eventually. <laughs> you better hope they marry nice girls. Or boys. I'm fine with that too. Yeah. And anyway, that was our outing. So I hope that you decide to take a nice little hike with your son. And I hope he doesn't treat you <laughs> the same way as mine do. Thank you. Well, we had an outdoor movie night here last night. I'm really jealous. And we watched Smokey and the Bandit. I love that movie. I love the Trans Am. I love Burt Reynolds. Still don't know why people thought he was like so sexy. Oh, he's pretty sexy in that movie I have to say and Sally Field right Sally Fields yeah it. when he looks at Sally Fields and gives her this cute little look I was like oh okay I get it now and then you were like oh because I'm old now yes exactly that's why I get it that's why I like Magnum PI too oh my god you you have like a mustache thing that's what it is I can't imagine kissing someone with a mustache but after years of living all those years living in Turkey where every freaking man has a giant stash that's bigger than my head I I, I hate mustaches you would go to the doctor or you'd go to the dentist and then like they, their stash would be hanging over the mask or something. <laughs> yeah, no. All right. So should we sign this thing off? We should probably go find our guys and make sure they're not in trouble somewhere, huh? Oh my God. I'm pretty sure mine are. Probably have my husband wrapped up in the treehouse or something. <laughs> He's teaching them Turkish profanity. All right. Go outside and enjoy. Bye. All right. Bye-bye. <laughs>